On today's episode, five common myths about getting scans with Mark Sertica. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. You might have, uh, I might have mentioned over the past couple of months, um, I've been venturing into YouTube and starting a channel myself, but also recognizing that YouTube as a, a good platform for absorbing a lot of knowledge and resource and that sort of stuff. And I have subscribed to a lot of channels, one of them being E3 Rehab, which my guest is a part of and loved the content. It's probably one of the first YouTube channels I subscribed to, which was only a couple of months ago. But if you ever look at some of their videos, you'll realize that it just looks so clean, professional, highly edited, and just looks really good. Explains content in a really good way. And the content that I'm interested in is what they they sort of release. And it's all very evidence-based, which Mark talks about in a second, but just explained really well. Go check out at least one of their videos to show, to like visualize or to see what I mean. It, it's, it's excellent. Um, we mentioned to... YouTube videos in this particular conversation. So I'll add both of those into the show notes so you can click on those and check them out. The video I'm referring to is one called Physical Therapist Debunks Five Most Common Myths About MRIs and X-rays. So a long title, but essentially covering five myths about getting scans and imaging. And we talk about that, break it down in today's episode. I reached out to Mark and said, It'd be great if I could get you on the podcast. They also have a podcast if you haven't if you haven't carried over onto YouTube yet, which I'm trying to get a few of you across. Uh, they do have a podcast and they have interviewed Peter Maliaris and Kieran O'Sullivan, which are guests that have appeared on this podcast. Um, also, Dr. Rich Willie, who I absolutely love. So go check out E3 Rehab podcast if you want to um, absorb the content just by audio, but like I said, you're going to love the YouTube channel. So go check it out and let's dive into these five myths. Mark, thanks for joining me on the Run Smarter podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I have been um, digesting a lot of your content as soon as I found out about you a couple of months ago. So thanks for all the content that you do produce. For those who aren't familiar with you, can you introduce yourself, sort of where you're from and sort of how, how your career has developed along with the the social media side of things? Yeah, so my name is Mark Sertica. I'm based in Los Angeles, California, so I'm over here in the States. I am a call it physical therapist over here, but a physiotherapist. 
and I'm also a co-founder and co-owner of a company called E3 Rehab, which you're referring to, which produces online, you know, educational information in the form of podcasts, blogs, uh, YouTubes, etc. And the E3 stands for like empowerment through evidence-based education. So our content is directed toward kind of the layperson, but also physiotherapists and healthcare professionals. And yeah, we try to provide that education, you know, having that evidence base behind it. Yeah, for sure. I can see health professionals getting a ton out of listening and absorbing your content, but also someone who is injured or facing say surgery or, you know, post-recovery or just wanting to know what the evidence does show and you do a ton of work. You could tell the hard work that goes into it because there's so much research that's jam-packed in there and then deconstructed in a way that's pretty free-flowing and people can understand. And I guess that's the same sort of method of this podcast trying to be as evidence-based as possible and educate people um, no matter how how much of a background they understand about the science. It's trying to communicate it in a way that most people can understand and then recognize um, this is what the evidence shows. So I guess that's probably why I was gravitated towards your content. And I've been meaning to have a guest on to talk about scans for a very long time. And then video popped up about the myths about scans and um, on your YouTube channel. And I had to reach out just to ask, is it okay if you come on to discuss it? Because it's it's something that's been playing on my mind for a long time and you communicate in a very good way. So for those who aren't familiar, Mark and his team have a video about the five myths of scans. And so we're going to cover those today. And myth number one was imaging shows the cause of pain. Um, you know, seems kind of straightforward that that would actually be the reality, but why is this a myth? That's a good question. And I want to start by saying that I'm not the running expert that you are, and the initial video wasn't geared toward runners. So hopefully we can put our heads together and make this episode as valuable for runners listening as possible and for any non-runners listening. So I'm going to bounce the question back to you for a second and say, in your practice, seeing runners, what are some of the most common injuries or diagnoses or body regions that you happen to work with? I would say, particularly those who get scans, I would say it's the knees. Um, most runners would, like, that's the location where pain usually resides from for runners, the most common location for pain. And if those aren't, for those who aren't that educated or are sort of pushed in the wrong direction with health professionals or doctors, you know, it can eventuate to scans, especially if their injury isn't getting better. So um, I would say that's probably the most common. Right. Okay. So we'll, we'll stick with the knee and we'll stick with this myth. Number one, imaging shows the cause of pain. So people who are presenting to you, maybe people who are listening might have heard the diagnosis of patellofemoral pain. And that's just kind of a fancy, right? Medical jargon for saying that you have kneecap pain. And in most instances, this is not something that requires any type of imaging to manage. You know, maybe your medical doctor or their healthcare professional will do some questioning and maybe some tests and they'll come up with this diagnosis and then they'll see a physio physiotherapist like you and you don't necessarily require any kind of imaging. But like you said, sometimes people do go and get imaging of their knee. 
And if that's the case, maybe they're going to get an x-ray first. And I know that for some runners and for other people who have had, you know, imaging, they might have received the diagnosis after that imaging to say that they have chondromalacia patella, which is like the softening of the cartilage on the back of the kneecap. And once again, this is like a fancy sounding term. It sounds kind of scary. But then when we look at the research, we see that this chondromalacia patella is also common in people who don't have any symptoms. And so the tricky thing with imaging is that if you're looking for a cause of pain via imaging, you know, through an x-ray or an MRI, you're going to be able to make that connection, right? So you have knee pain, you get this imaging, you have this chondromalacia patella, and it could be really easy to say, well, my knee pain is caused by this chondromalacia patella. But then when we look at the research and we see, well, actually, it's common in people without any symptoms. So it's really hard to attribute that diagnosis to, you know, the cause of your knee pain. And, and we'll talk about this more, you know, with these other myths, but sometimes then we get too focused on it, right? We'll become, you know, obsessive about this diagnosis when, you know, maybe it's not as important to the overall rehab process as we might hope. Yeah. And that's where we sort of need to gather a whole bunch of information to know about the history, like the onset of that injury, what was happening around that time of injury. And people really need to understand that phenomenon that is like incidental findings. People can have a scan of a pain-free joint and there can be imperfections in that particular joint. And it can be very easy to correlate the two once you eventually scan something that's painful to say, you know, you have these particular changes, this is the cause of your pain. But one of the reasons why this is a myth is that it wouldn't, most of the time it doesn't necessarily correlate. And if it does show, you know, the cartilage behind the kneecap is showing some like imperfections, wear and tear or whatever they language they might want to use. You know what, in fact, it's probably that knee pain was generated because you increased your mileage too much or you ran too fast, too quickly, and that particular training load was a bit too abrupt. That's why you have a sore knee. It's just an overload injury and nothing, I guess, structural that's going on. So on the flip side of that, you can have pain of a joint without any visible signs of scans. Will there be no like sort of evidence to point to it when you actually look at it in a scan? Would you agree? Yeah, and and that's why, you know, I don't know who came up with this, right? But we look at these imaging findings, whether it's, you know, degeneration or this chondromalacia or thickening of, you know, tendons, et cetera, or these other findings of tendons, you know, we think think of them as abnormalities. But if, once again, we kind of look at the research and we see that a lot of these so-called abnormalities are actually common, then we realize that they're not abnormalities, they're normalities. And so I was referencing, I don't know who came up with this, but some people say, you know, it's similar to, you know, wrinkling of your skin or grain of your hair, because some of these imaging findings become more common as you age, just as wrinkling of your skin, grain of your hair. Now that's not the case across the board for, you know, all injuries, all diagnoses. And once again, we'll get into that. 
but I think that is a useful analogy for people to hear. Yeah, totally agree. And even those sort of aging things can start appearing in someone like in their late thirties, forties, like that's what some, it's good that we have these, um, studies that are done that actually scan healthy people and see how common these findings actually are because otherwise people would get quite scared or quite worried and quite fearful of having these particular findings when in fact if you say you know you're 45 years old um, if you were to scan 45 healthy people this would appear in you know half of the population and so that can be quite reassuring for some people and then if you try and say that your onset of symptoms doesn't necessarily correlate with this finding. You know, this particular finding might have X, Y, Z symptoms, but you're not presenting like that at all. It could be something completely different that can help build that reassurance. But if they just purely use a scan and an image as evidence and fixate on only that, it can lead to uh, a narrative that's might not necessarily be true. And so do you have any advice, I guess, on the approach we should take if you're like, cause some people might be listening to this and say, okay, well, why are we getting scans in the first place? Um, is there a particular process that we should do or, um, a health professional that, or like a process that should be done to better interpret these results? Yeah. So, you know, if you are going to get imaging, you know, it, it probably has to correlate with the fact that maybe you're considering surgery or maybe your healthcare professional is considering something that, you know, requires imaging to, you know, manage medically. But a lot of the time, once again, that imaging isn't necessarily going to dictate your long-term outcome. It's not necessarily going to dictate the rehab process. And this might sound unusual to people because I, you know, I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience who's listening to this because yes, you, you might have, you know, these imaging findings. Um, but I just think it's important to normalize it. And so if your medical doctor does their clinical examination and they end up doing this imaging, they say, you know what, you are having this knee pain. I do see that you have this chondromalacia or anything else that we want to uh, plug in there. But I just want to let you know that this is actually common in people, even without symptoms. So we can't necessarily say that it's the cause. It's possible that it's associated, but it's not actually going to change the rehab process or, you know, whether or not um, you get surgery. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. I think the communication that you use alongside the scans with someone who's very proficient at, I guess, knowing what the evidence shows and communicating it in a really effective way to sort of de-threaten a lot of the language that's used on scans can be really important. And a lot of these myths kind of flow in and out of one another. But the, the second myth that we have is that imaging, the myth is that imaging will predict the outcome. And some people might show like on scans, they like grade a certain thing or have a certain level of severity of a particular structure or how much joint space something has. And most people might assume that the worse the image looks, the worse or poorer the outcomes. Um, 
And so this is labeled as a myth. So why is there a correlation and why is this a myth that you've labeled? Yeah. So, you know, there, so yeah, this is where I'm saying that, Hey, there can be associations between imaging and symptoms. I don't like to use the word, you know, cause in most cases, and then there can be associations with your prognosis or basically how you're going to do in the long term, but it's always not, it's not always predictive, meaning that you have two people with disc herniations on an MRI. The person that presents with the bigger disc herniation, one, doesn't necessarily have worse symptoms worse function than the person with the smaller disc herniation. And two, it doesn't necessarily mean that their recovery is going to be worse than the person with the smaller disc herniation. And since the audience is runners, I think something that they may have been told, or maybe they know somebody who's heard this, the bone on bone knee, right? So you get imaging and you see your knee is bone on bone, and maybe you get the advice you need to stop squatting. You need to stop running. I've met people, you know, who are patients or clients who have been given that advice solely based on their imaging. And so you can have um, like really severe looking, right? Like osteoarthritis, like joint space narrowing, these other, other findings and not necessarily have really bad symptoms or poor function. And similarly, maybe you have minimal findings, but you actually do have a lot of symptoms um, and and decreased function. So that's where that doesn't pre- uh, predict those long-term outcomes. And that's why I'm not a fan of, you know, healthcare professionals telling patients, well, your knee is bone on bone, or this is the worst insert, you know, disc herniation, uh, osteoarthritis, et cetera, that I've ever seen. Because once again, you know, people can attach themselves to that. There's a very emotional uh, response to that. And so if you hear this is bone on bone, your automatic response probably is, well, I shouldn't run because it's going to make it worse. When in reality, maybe you're the person who feels better after going for a short run. Maybe it's analgesic for you, you know, and it feels good for you both physically and mentally. Uh, so that's what that myth kind of... Um, ties into yeah and just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know i have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury the sign up link is in the show notes so fill in your details and i'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow and if people are interested in this, I did a interview with Kevin Maggs, who's a chiropractor. Like I did it years ago. It's probably in the first 30 episodes of the podcast, but we talked about knee OA and in relation to running. And he clearly pointed out and pointed to the evidence of the lack of correlation between how bad a knee looks on scans and their severity of pain. So if you knew nothing about a person and only looked at their scans your likelihood of, I guess, making a correlation to their function and symptoms were really, really poor. And like you said, you can have someone who looks quite bad on scans and be in very minimal pain, very highly functioning. And on the opposite side, someone can have pretty good scans and 
been a lot of pain and a lot of dysfunction. And so that correlation there is um, something that people need to be quite aware of. And then going back to this myth, predicting the outcomes, yes, the pain would be poorly correlated, but so would the recovery process or the, the recovery timeframes. Um, I have done a fair few episodes on the pain science of things because I think people would struggle to understand why someone with not, with not a lot of findings on scans can be in so much pain and dysfunction. Um, do you have much of an insight around that? The way that I explain it to people, and we actually just made a, a video on this recently, and you just explained it as well, you know, is thinking about sometimes this Goldilocks principle of, you know, Goldilocks was this young girl who went into the home of the three bears, had their porridge and sat in their chairs and slept in their beds, right? And the porridge, one was too hot, one was too cold, and one was just right. And, you know, for for runners, you know, maybe you can do, you know, too much, too little, or just right. And I think sometimes, as you described, people might just do a little too much, a little too soon, and irritate it, you know, irritate their knee or their foot or, you know, their hip or whatever it may be. And it doesn't have to be much more complicated than that. And that's from the physical side of things. So doing too much, you know, too soon or too quickly with regards to running mileage, running intensity, running volume, um, et cetera. But obviously there are other factors. So once again, there's, there's research associating things like, you know, increased stress and, you know, with, with healing or, you know, uh, an association with poor sleep and an increase in pain. So yeah, for, for a runner who says, you know what, I haven't really changed much about my shoes, my mileage, anything else, but I've been sleeping really poorly. I'm really stressed about work, you know, et cetera. You know, maybe that's something that they're more so looking into. Hmm. I love that video as well. And it explains like the adaptation sweet spot. Um, you have, say if someone has knee pain and they've been dealing with it for a few months, you know, they might have a bad week where it's particularly irritated and flared up and they can't really tolerate a lot, but then they might have some good weeks and you can't say that the structure of the knee is bad on that week and the structure of the knee is good on that week. It doesn't fluctuate like that. But what you're saying is it can be a mechanical load. Um, so we're looking at mileage, speed, um, frequency, just overall, like how much load you put through that joint, which is causing that sensitivity. But at the same time, your training load could be consistent, but what changes is the pain sensitivity side of things. So you you become more sensitive to the same amount of load and those influences can be things like stress and sleep and potentially diet. And I would add in there, like the emotional side, thoughts, fears, worries, all that sort of stuff really does spark up that sensitivity and trying to going back to this topic of, of scans, you know, if you have that wild of fluctuation of symptoms, you can't say that it is a change in your structure or a change in scans and people can like, there could be a presentation or like a, an example where someone isn't sleeping well, quite stressed they do have a really high pain sensitivity and 
you know, they're not really functioning that well. And then they get scans and then see that there is some changes which might be normal, but they might interpret it as, you know, being the direct correlation of those particular symptoms. And then that can move them down the wrong path. They don't really focus on sleep. They don't really focus on stress. They just think that this is inevitable because I have bone on bone or like that particular narrative is pretty um, demoralizing because they can't really do much about it. And so um, very, very careful that we navigate these waters very carefully. Um, Anything you want to say on that before we move on to myth number three? I think you brought up really good points about, you know, the mechanical loading. So we are considering you know, the local, you know, factors, the local loading on the knee. And certainly things can get inflamed and irritated. Like we're, neither one of us are saying that, but you also have to consider those systemic factors, the sleep, the stress, you know, diet. And hopefully also people understand that neither one of us are saying that, you know, even if the imaging doesn't necessarily correlate or associate with your symptoms, we're not saying that it's in your, all in your head, right? Mm. I think sometimes people are told that like, Oh, there's nothing there. Just get on with it. Yeah. You know, but very well said. Yeah. So, you know, just because something isn't being shown doesn't mean that your pain isn't very real. Um, and doesn't mean that there's not something that can be done for it from, you know, a rehab perspective. Yeah. And hopefully the listeners have listened to a few of those pain science episodes that I've done so that when we say it could be thoughts, emotions that produce the pain, you know, people can very quickly interpret saying the pain's coming from your brain or pain's all in your head to then think that you think I'm making it up. Like that's how that message gets across a lot of the times, which, you know, um, we need to be very sensitive with that topic. Okay. So myth number three was if you fix the image, you fix the pain. And so this can easily um, flow into what we've previously discussed. Like I say, all these myths kind of just like jumble into one another, but very important that we sort of highlight it on its own. So what do you mean when you say if you, the myth, if you fix the image, then you fix the pain? Yeah. Like you said, it, it builds off those two previous myths, right? So imaging findings of these so-called, you know, quote unquote abnormalities can be found in people who are asymptomatic and those imaging findings don't necessarily dictate long-term outcomes. So therefore, by fixing the image, fixing via surgery, doesn't necessarily mean that your pain is going to go away. Because if there wasn't a strong association there, then you're not really necessarily addressing the thing that was contributing to your symptoms in the first place. So once again... You know, maybe somebody does have OA of the knee and usually, you know, surgery for OA, such as like a total knee replacement is, you know, there's clinical findings, maybe there's some imaging findings and then, you know, you go on to have surgery. But if you just have surgery as the first line of treatment for certain conditions, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that your pain is going to be you know, completely eliminated. Yeah. And what would you say? Cause a lot of people like have follow-up scans and like re-scans. It's like a sort of um, a common process that people go through and what they're looking for is like 
an improvement in their sort of condition or a non-worsening of their condition. Um, and so if fixing the image doesn't necessarily fix the pain, is there, um, in certain situations, is it warranted that people might not need to get a rescan to have a look and see if there's any improvements? I would say in most cases, people do not need a rescan because as we talked about, some of these findings are actually, you know, become more common as you get older. So you might have an x-ray of your knee. It shows these OA findings. You have a certain level of symptoms and maybe a decrease in function. Let's say a few years go by and your symptoms are actually improved and your function is better, but you still have a little something there. And you say, you know what, just in case, I want to see how my knee is doing. And you get this follow-up x-ray and you see that it actually looks a lot worse. And now we go back to those feelings, emotions, and, and thinking about how things look. And you're going, oh no, I, I need to stop squatting. I need to stop running. Oh, you know what? My knee actually hurts a little bit more now that I think about it. And it is interesting on YouTube comments for this video, other videos, you know, sometimes when people hear this information and I try to normalize this experience, they say, oh, you know what? That actually happened to me where I came across your YouTube video or I listened to somebody else's podcast or I read this article that says, hey, you know what? These things are actually kind of common and maybe not something that you need to worry about and their pain goes away and they stop worrying about it and they feel better and their function improves and they get back to running or doing the things that they want to do. Um, and so that's why... Yes, yeah, not always necessary to, you know, fix the the image. And I gave some examples in the video. One of them was degener degenerative meniscal tears. So generally, these tears of the meniscus, you know, in the the knees that we do associate with imaging, that actually having you know surgery for that doesn't necessarily lead to better outcomes than like a placebo surgery or a fake surgery. Um, so that's just something to consider. For sure. And talking about that Goldilocks scenario where, you know, you could overload things, something could be too hot, but we have that sweet spot, but then we have something that's too cold, which in this case would be like underloading and sort of weakening and deconditioning that particular structure. And, I've labeled this in my podcast as the pain, rest, weakness, downward spiral. And talking about, to say that NEOA example before where someone gets scans, shows mild arthritic changes, and then feels better with their function and feels better with their pain, but then rescans and says it's worse. Another common scenario would be someone who gets scans of their knee, shows this arthritic changes, and then they're really cautious about loading it really cautious about exercising, quite fearful. And they start, could be over the course of several months or years, but they start doing less. And that doing less causes further weakness, but then causes further pain. Then they get that rescan and it shows that it's worse. And so they pull back yet again. And this can happen very slowly over a decade of someone just doing less and less and less to the point where, you know, just walking for a couple of hours starts to produce pain. And they said, well, this makes sense because my arthritic changes are so advanced and so poor right now. Um, no wonder I have this particular presentation, but you're letting the image itself sort of control what you want to do. And you're sort of following this um, poorly correlated guideline, but it's actually 
manifesting itself as reality because you're sort of it's sort of like you're convincing yourself that you need to back off and reduce or maybe a health professional is telling you as such um it can be a really tricky um downward spiral it could be a really tricky trajectory that you put yourself on if you start to um, believe those particular findings and that's why that communication is so important right so if you have this x-ray and you're you're believing that you have this bone on bone and every time you experience pain that that bone on bone is getting worse then you're not going to want to experience any pain or push into any pain at all so at the first sign of pain maybe that happens within your first half mile of your run so you go i'm going to run only you know a third of a mile um and then maybe i'm going to earn you know kilometers uh, but you know, so you're going to run less and less because you're associating that pain with what's happening at your knee when, you know, that might not actually be the case. Yeah. Myth number four was that imaging dictates rehab, which, um, I think mainly from the video, you were using examples of like surgery as a particular outcome. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And even for, so we'll, we'll take two people again and, Let's imagine that we have two x-rays of, of two knees of two different people. And I ask you, you know, which person has symptoms? You're not going to know the answer to that question because we already, de- you know, determined that the imaging isn't always associated with symptoms. Now, I might tell you, both of these people have symptoms. Brody, how are you going to manage them in your physiotherapy practice? Once again, you know nothing about these people. These are just knees. These knees are attached to people. And so what that means is the imaging doesn't necessarily dictate the rehab is that you might have somebody with, you know, the scan who is a marathon runner and they have a, they run really frequently, really fast, high mileage, you know, you know, maybe they have minimal stress in their lives. Maybe they're a professional athlete and this is all they do versus, you know, somebody else who is just starting like a walk run program and maybe their life is completely different. They only have an hour per whole week for exercise and running because they have a busy life with their family and work and, you know, other obligations. So how you're going to, you know, provide your rehab for those two people is going to look very differently. So when somebody, you know, we get messages all the time, Hey, I have, a tear of my meniscus, what should I do? My response is, I don't know because I don't know anything about you, right? If it was that simple, you and I probably wouldn't have jobs, right? We, we have to individualize the rehab process and we need to know about somebody's, their goals, their previous training, uh, training history, you know, maybe comorbidities, um, you know, time availability, preferences, etc. I think there's some very um, general takeaways on all of these myths. Number one is the right communication. So finding like a trusted source, a trusted health professional that sort of knows all this information. And if you do have, say, a doctor or a health professional that is coming across as a little bit like not as... I guess, well-versed and just using what's on the scans to sort of, or sort of like, you know, putting all these myths into reality, essentially, if you're noticing that in their communication style, 
um, maybe it is worth trying to find another trusted source that can have that open communication and um, talk about that. So communication, definitely number one. But like you said, I think number two as a, a good theme takeaway from this episode is using the whole picture. It's considering the whole entire picture. We can't like a scan is a part of that picture, but what most people do is they have the scan and only use that as the piece to the puzzle, but it's only a small piece to a big puzzle. And we need to consider all those other pieces before deciding what to do, deciding on what your rehab should look like and potentially even, um, using or predicting sort of recovery and those, those elements. Um, but myth number five, I really like, and you put this as the last final thing in your video, which I think was done really well. And is the myth that imaging never matters because someone can listen to this for the last half hour and say, I'm never getting a scan again, but does have a certain level of importance. So would you mind discussing that? Yeah. You know, with most things probably in rehab, fitness, nutrition, is that we have these, you know, this pendulum that swings back and forth where something's really important and then it's not important at all. And in reality, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. And that's the case with, you know, this video and, and with this myth. And, you know, the purpose of those other four myths that we talked about is just maybe not to overly fixate on the image, right? Because we don't necessarily need to change the image for you to have successful rehab, for you to improve your symptoms, for you to improve your function. But I'm not saying, and you're not saying that imaging never matters. And as physiotherapists, the things that we learn about in school are usually like the big, scary things that are, you know, um, very rare, but things like you know, cancers or infections or things that we might be suspicious of based on a person's presentation and what they're telling us, where we say, you know what, this is out of our scope of practice or they need other kind of medical management. Imaging is very important in those cases. And then there's other kind of like, you know, rules or algorithms that we learn, right? So someone's in a, a car accident and it's at a certain speed, you know, should they get an x-ray of their neck to determine whether or not they have a fracture of their neck. Or if somebody has a really bad ankle sprain, should everybody who has a really bad ankle sprain go and get an x-ray? Well, we have, you know, the this algorithm that says, not necessarily, let's check off these boxes. If they, you know, meet this criteria, then we'll send them off for an x-ray. And that way, you know, we're not using extra resources, money, time to do unnecessary imaging, right? And yeah. and that's kind of what this is getting at is that imaging is important, but when it's done unnecessarily or when it's done without the appropriate communication and education alongside it, you know, then it can be actually unhelpful. You know, I think in your... Uh, you know, scope of working with runners, maybe somewhere where imaging might be really important is if you're suspecting a stress fracture, right? And and so that's a really good case in, in, in runners of maybe there's a, you're suspecting something in the foot or the ankle or the hip. We say, you know what, maybe 
we need to do some imaging and figure out how best to manage this. So it can help with that rehab process uh, in, in certain scenarios. I'm glad you said that. I actually wrote down stress fractures while you were talking just so I could bring it up, but you've, you've beat me to it. Um, you also mentioned that it's not just as simple as, oh, let me just get a scan just to see, because sometimes, like you say, that can be unhelpful. The process of unnecessarily getting scans can be unhelpful because like we've said before, it can come up with some really threatening language and leave you down a path that might not necessarily be the right path for you. And that's only because you've had the scans and then heavily relying on those scan findings. Um, so it's not just as simple as if you've got the time, if you've got the money, if you've got the resources, go get a scan just to get it checked out. Um, you know, maybe if you're a real elite athlete, that might be something that they do. They just get scans all the time, but um, they also have the communication on that side, which recreational runners wouldn't necessarily have, or would be rare to have. Um, but definitely stress fractures, that's a particular condition that's common amongst runners, but is very, it's identified very late in their pathology because it can masquerade as something else. And one of the purposes for getting a scan is maybe if you're not responding to treatment and we have a suspected, or we have our suspicions that it might be a bony stress reaction, if you get a scan and it is that bony stress reaction, that management is completely different compared to a soft tissue injury. And so um, most people sort of assume it's a soft tissue injury and manage it and it gets worse and they try something else and it gets worse. And then several months down the track, they get a scan. It's a bony stress reaction or a stress fracture and totally derails what they were doing and their management's or their recovery is so prolonged because they've mismanaged it for so long because it hasn't been identified for such a long period of time. And so I'm glad you highlight that point, um, but needs to have the right guidance. It needs to have a, a, a trusted health professional to say, you know what, maybe it's time for a scan. Maybe this might be a stress fracture. Let's head down this path just to see. Um, but not every, not every runner with pain should go away and get scans because they suspect a stress fracture needs to have justification attached to it. Yeah, and I think for people listening, if they are seeing a physiotherapist or they are seeing a surgeon or somebody else, ask them questions. You know, If somebody has seen you, they should ask, hey, when do you think it's appropriate for me to get imaging? Is it going to change my management? When is it appropriate or when is it necessary to get surgery? And then they're having a conversation rather than just completely deferring to you or to me because I don't want to just tell my patient or you know people listening, hey, you don't need to get imaging, but let's have this conversation. Tell me what's going on. You know, Tell me what's on your mind. Why do you want imaging? Like you said, is it just, I just want to find out. Well, you know, let me tell you that that's probably not necessarily going to change what we're doing together. And maybe that you know, deters them a little bit uh, from getting that imaging. So just, yeah, making sure that having, you know, that good conversation with your healthcare um, professional. Yeah. Well said. There's our five myths busted. Um, is there any other final takeaways or maybe something um, that we haven't yet discussed that you think might be important? You know, I, I think we covered everything, you know, and I think that fifth myth, you know, the imaging never matters is, is really important to, to kind of like wrap everything up, you know, to say that imaging doesn't always show the cause and there's not always these associations, but sometimes it matters. And when it matters, it matters, 
you know. <laughs> um, and, if, you know, if people want more information, they can obviously watch that video or, or read the blog. And there's some references, um, you know, in there that can be helpful, hopefully. Yeah. Um, while we're on that topic, um, so how do people find your YouTube channel, your blogs, um, podcast, all those sorts of things? Where can people go? Yeah, if they just want to go to e3rehab.com and on that website, you can you know click a link to the YouTube, the blogs, um, podcast, and they're all organized pretty well. So hopefully they can find that. Um, and I mentioned, you know, that Goldilocks video that we did recently. And I think that's really appropriate, you know, for runners is just recognizing that yeah, sometimes, and I'm sure you've talked about it a ton. It's just sometimes we do a little bit too much too soon. No big deal. Let's figure out how we can rein it back in and get back on track to what we want to do. Yeah. Um, I know on YouTube, sometimes it might be a bit difficult to find specific videos. So I'll include the links to this myth in the show notes and also that Goldilocks um, sweet spot video in there as well for people to check out. Um, Great, mate. Thanks for coming on and sharing this. Like I said, I've been looking for a guest to bring up this topic and have a chat about this topic. And um, after watching your video and just recognizing how understanding you are about this topic, um, it's absolutely world-class. So thanks for coming on and sharing all your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.